Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the second half of the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. Uh, And now we're going to switch up, and we're going to talk about, you know, racial. We're going to talk about racial issues, and particularly racial origins of fat phobia. My guest is Sabrina Strings. Her book is Fearing the Black Body. Sabrina Strings is Assistant Professor of Sociology at the University of California in Irvine. Her research examines how race, sexuality, and class are inscribed on the body, such that the body itself can be marshaled into maintained social hierarchies. She is an award-winning author whose articles and essays are featured in venues including Signs, Journal of Women in Culture and Society, Feminist Media Studies, Truthout, and A Feminist Wire. She also is a 200-hour certified yoga teacher, and she she teaches uh, organized. She does conferences and workshops on yoga throughout the United States. This is her first book, "Fearing the Black Body." Welcome, Sabrina. It's great to be on with you, Patricia. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, I just want to read a couple of things here. Obesity kills more Americans than we thought, which is uh, was on a website for CNN. Accompanied by the faceless black image or an image of a fat black woman with a tape measure around her waist held together by a pair of delicate white hands, the article detailed the findings of a landmark study, the first to explore differences in the risk of dying from obesity by age, race, and gender. And black women bear the heaviest risk. Today, most Americans accept findings as facts based on objective medical research. What if the medical field was swayed by an anti-fat bias based by two centuries of racist attitudes denigrating the bodies of women of color and disciplining white women to survive for slimness? So in this book, Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia, sociologist Sabrina Strings reveals the insidious roles of race, class, and moralizing in the spread of fat aversion and thin preoccupation across this country. And what she really talks about is the current war on obesity is not purely motivated by health concerns. And the development of the thin ideal historically was rooted in anti-blackness, which I didn't know. Welcome back, or welcome, Sabrina. Welcome to the show. Wow, that's amazing. So actually, the development of the thin ideal was rooted in anti-blackness? Explain that. So as you've already articulated, when we think about fat phobia, what we commonly assume is that it has something to do with our national preoccupation with obesity and the purported health effects associated with having an elevated BMI, that is a BMI of 30 or above. But in my research, what I found is that fat phobia developed in tandem with the slave trade, such that in Mm. the early years of the slave trade, right, uh, race science suggested that, okay, well, there are different classes of people, and they're based on region, and also they're based on skin color and temperament. But over time, due to interracial sex in the colonies, racial scientific theories advanced 
to include additional features. And one of them was greed. So the notion was that black people were just inherently greedy and lazy, uh, and therefore they ended up being fat. And so this, which happened about the 18th century, became an important rationale for the propagation of fat stigma. Interesting. Wow. Mm. So what is the black community doing to combat sort of this vilification of black women's appearance in white stream media? How is it reclaiming uh, the, the, the culture in the black community? What's interesting is that a lot of the discourse about fat phobia, and especially its relationship to blackness or anti-blackness in particular, circulated in largely white circles uh, up until about the mid-20th century. So it wasn't until the past few decades, um, really beginning around, let's say, the 1960s with the Black is Beautiful movement, that there was a vocal attempt by the black community to suggest Features that have long been associated with blackness, including thick thighs, you know, fleshy arms, big butts, Um, and in fact, just being in general thicker, we value those, we prize those, and we appreciate women with these features. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But even in the black community, there is nevertheless still that contestation. On the one hand, um, although we prize thickness in general, um, being fat, So being someone who might be considered beyond the size of, um, you know, a Rihanna, someone who is considered to be um, sort of a truly larger-bodied, obese person, even in the black community, there's still some resistance to incorporating a love of curvaceousness when it becomes someone considered, quote, too big. But in addition, there's also individuals in the black community who would suggest that the obesity science that we're seeing in the medical community is correct. And it's very important for us to try to slim down if we want to save ourselves. And so that, you know, becoming slender is somehow being represented as a form of liberation. So there is this complicated narrative and history even within the black community. Wow. But but it's also health, too. I mean, there is, you know, there's also a health issue here. In terms of longevity? The obesity science itself, uh, I argue, is a form of pseudoscience. So we think about um, a lot of the information coming from the medical community as objective. But what we find is that there's such a great level of contestation surrounding the use of BMI. Many people are unaware, but BMI was developed in excuse me, in the 19th century by a Belgian statistician. And he was not trying to suggest that this should be used to measure individual levels of adiposity or health outcomes at the individual level. Mm. Nevertheless, when it was adopted by the medical community between the mid-1970s and mid-1980s, that is precisely how it was being used. And the individual responsible for um, making BMI the measure of obesity, a man by the name of Ansel Keys, was very clear that he found fat bodies disgusting and also that he thought that BMI was arbitrary but a tool that should be used anyway. So to your question, whether or not a person has a BMI of 30 or above um, really has not nearly as much to do with health outcomes as, as people have commonly assumed. Mm. So you're, it, it's more stigmatized. I mean, it's more stigmatized with assumptions. That's what you're saying. That when you, that when you see a person who's overweight, particularly someone who's black, you associate they're lazy, they don't care, correct? Is that, is that what you're saying? That's right. 
And again, we think that medical science is somehow giving us some uh, objective measure of these relationships. But in reality, even physicians are quite commonly swayed by uh, the notions that fat people are, are lazy, that they could reform mm-hmm. themselves, that they could improve by losing weight, um, which you can find in, in many different reports of uh, fat women talking about their experiences with um, medical so, practitioner. So, so let me ask you this then. If we look at it from the, the black person's view, the woman and the man, is it something that they look at as beauty? Is it something that, you know, is genetic? Is it something that they want to change? Is it their love of food? I mean, what? how do they see this? If we asked, what would you say to that? So I would say the first thing that we want to do is think about um, like the Western community writ large before we go specifically to the black community. In the West, um, voluptuous physiques were prized for hundreds of years. Yes. So we often forget that today. So when you right. look at the Renaissance paintings of um, uh, individuals like Titians or well, like Rubens, Rubens yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. We can see that fleshy women, um, white and black for a time, were considered beautiful. And it wasn't until race science intervened to suggest to white people, hey, this is not the right ideal for you. In fact, you want to try something that is evidence of self-control, discipline, and rationality, and that's slenderness. So what I would say to you with that is that in many cultures the world over, voluptuous women have long been prized. uh, Mm -hmm. And only relatively recent in world history, let's say in the past 200 years, innovation to suggest that actually valuing fatness is a problem. So, Sabrina, what do you see as the solution here? You know, what, what is your hope in writing this book? What, do you, what change do you want to see from this? My hope is that people who are being trained as medical doctors would actually read this book, think critically about the findings within um, obesity science, and start to treat people differently. Because right now, as I've been talking to a number of different fat women about their experiences, um, most recently someone was articulating to me that there is a tremendous fear of going to the doctor, that people are actually dying. Yeah. And we think about it, we think about the black community. Um, The black community has many reasons historically to avoid going to doctors. I mean, Tuskegee, let's just say that, right? I mean, that's not even the only example. But the black community is already resistant in many respects to going to the doctor. But there's this added burden, if you are a fat black woman, of knowing not only this racial history um, about Tuskegee, et cetera, but then also the problem of going in there and being a fat person and being told that you need to change everything about your body in order to be healthy, right? So basically what I'm trying to show is that people's actual health outcomes would be improved if we put less emphasis on their weight and more emphasis on their general health outcomes as pertains to um, how well they're able to eat, how much they're able to use their right. to move their bodies, right. and whether or not they have access to clean drinking water, fresh produce, etc. Right, right. Very, very good points. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Sabrina more about the concepts around this, fearing the black body, the racial origins of fat phobia, and what we can do about it. And again, uh, how can people get the book, Sabrina? It's available at your local bookseller, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, and also nyupress.org. 
All right. We'll be right back with Sabrina Strings, author of Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia, right after the break. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. We'll be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. are listening to the patricia raskin show if you wish to call into our program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that number again is 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to patricia at patriciaraskin.com now back to the patricia raskin show Hi, everyone. We are back, and we are talking to Sabrina Strings, who is the author of the new book, Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia. Sabrina Strings is an assistant professor of sociology at the University of California in Irvine. She previously held an appointment as a chancellor's postdoctoral fellow in the Department of Sociology and School of Public Health at the University of California in Berkeley. And again, as I said, her new book is Fearing the Black Body. Welcome back, Sabrina. Good to be here. So so let me ask you, are we living in a new moment? Is this changing? I mean, you look at the Kardashians and you think, well, you know, maybe uh, our, our stereotypes are different because we accept them and we love them with all their foibles. So is it changing in terms of the way we look at race and fat and health? I would say that Throughout history, there's been 
excuse me, various moments in which we can see that slightly more curvaceous physique, slightly more voluptuous figures are prized. When I first started doing this work, I thought to myself, well, what about Marilyn Monroe? Marilyn Monroe right, was right, right, a size that we would today, I think would, in today's sizing would be a size 16. And so she was considered beautiful. So maybe the splendor aesthetic came on the heels of her popularity. But when I looked deeper into the historical record, I found that her popularity represented just a minor post-war blip. And that even celebrities such as Joan Crawford, um, so fellow celebrities, would say things like, oh, they think that she looks disgusting, right, because she's too Mm. fat. Many people are unaware of that. So what we have in America is more than a a century, um, actually now approaching two centuries, because this is at least documented to the 1830s in this country, of... um, sort of white women being told that it's more attractive to be slender. Even right now, as we're seeing with the Kardashians and, you know, the other individuals, the Jenners coming out of that compound, there is a greater appreciation for their voluptuousness, but it's not necessarily considered a form of fatness. They still have to make sure that they maintain trim waist, that the fat is distributed in such a way to make it, uh, well, quite typically alluring by having large breasts and a large butt, right? These secondary sexual characteristics. Mm-hmm. There's no evidence that people who are considered generally fat are getting greater recognition in our society. And so I would say that we need to be careful of these early pronouncements that we've defeated something just because we see that there's a fashion that's slightly changed our long-held values. Mm-hmm. I do want you to address, though, uh, Sabrina, the health issue. You know, for, forgetting the stigma and all of that, but no matter what your color is, you know, being obese does have health risks. Talk about that. I would say that the health risks are often overblown. And there's okay. a great deal of confusion associated with the relationship between um, fat and health outcomes. I want to make it clear that I'm not saying that I have the definitive information about that, what that relationship is. What I'm saying is that even within the medical community, medical researchers don't quite know. They've held on to this arbitrary of st- standard of BMI for many years, even as other medical researchers have shown that it's not very helpful at all. So what would need to happen in the medical community is an entirely new understanding of the relationship between weight and health. And hopefully it will be ca- the kind of understanding that does not stigmatize fat bodies. Uh, the way that our current understanding does. Hmm. So what, if, if you were talking to, to a group of women who were black and overweight, what would you say to them? What would be your message for them if they were doing a workshop with you? You know, part of what I'm trying to do in my book is show this history of relationships, but I'm definitely not attempting to speak for all black women or uh, everyone in the black community and certainly not trying to speak for fat black women. I think that what I could do best is provide some sort of context, some type of understanding for the way in which fat black women have been received in our society. Because myself, I am an individual with thin privilege, and so it's important that I speak to that. Um, Mm -hmm. But what I can do is serve as what is considered a straight-sized ally and provide the type of historical understanding that can help people to know that the stigmatization that they face is not justified and is definitely not Um, let's say, validated by the medical science. But in fact, being able to fight for their right to be considered healthy at any size is very important. Right. So what you're looking at is is the health aspect no matter what the size. 
I think you're, that's exactly. what you're talking about. Yes, okay. there is a movement called Health at Every Size in which uh, regardless of what you weigh, you can try to figure out the, the best healthy practices for your lifestyle. Yeah, it's great. All right. What would you say are a couple of takeaways in the book that you'd like to leave our listeners with? You know, a couple of points that really stand out for you. The first one is the one we've been talking about all of this time, which is that fat phobia is not rooted in health concerns, but is, in fact, rooted in race science and Protestantism. So that's key. Um, And the second one is that we often forget just how significant race was as an organizing principle for the United States. Because even though the book is about the Western world writ large, there's a lot of information about the developments in the U.S. Um, that I think are important. So I think it's critical for us to remember that we're not going to defeat racism overnight, um, despite all of the pronouncements that we heard when Barack Obama was elected. In fact, it is deeply rooted, and many of the racial principles that are guiding our everyday lives have been forgotten. So it's important for us to recover these understandings so that we might know how to move forward in a more equitable fashion. Okay, very important. Um, do you feel that, um, do you feel people are catching on to this? I asked you that before, but do you feel this is a slow change, that this will take a long time, or do you feel that we're getting some momentum? I have mixed feelings about that. On the one hand, uh, I was discouraged from completing this project from the moment I began it, um, up until, I would say, the past couple of years. There was a lot of resistance to me. Um, on the part of more senior faculty members completing this project. And I'm not Mm. talking about at my current institution, but, you know, when I was training at various locations. Um, So just seeing that gives me a bit of pause. I am somewhat hopeful that people might be able to read this and understand that BMI is not useful and that we might be able to change that. But unfortunately, we know that history repeats itself. And so unless we can come to the understanding that we don't need to... Um, vilify fat people for any reason, not racial, not religious, not medical, um, that there's pro- there could possibly be something else to crop up. So I want to mm. feel hopeful, but I think we have to remain vigilant. Um, yes. Things aren't yeah. going to change without our what, constant efforts. What, are you, what, are you get, what comments are you receiving from the book? What's the for feedback? The most part, people have been excited. Uh, I was actually very surprised by that. I mean, in general, people have been excited. People have learned a lot, and I've, people who have reached out have been very generous. I have also received a fair amount of hate mail. <laughs> so, really? And hate mail is coming from different walks of life. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been told that my work is racist. Um, I've been told that I don't quite understand why white women are choosing to lose weight. Um, I've been told that I should not be speaking (laughs) sort of in general and, you know, not on behalf of the black community. Although of course my aim is never to speak for every person in the black community. So I have been, you know, it has been a mixed bag, but it's been overwhelmingly positive. I'll say. I think that's wonderful. And I think you're creating awareness and whenever you create awareness, right, you're going to have resistance because people have been doing it another way. I really appreciate you coming on the program, Sabrina, your candidness, your honesty, uh, you know, and and you're moving forward in this movement. Uh, It's important. And people can find you at, give us the website again, please. Uh, You can find me at S.A. Strings on Twitter. Um, I'm not 
especially active on there. But, there, you know, I have tweeted six things, and so, you know, that's something. Uh, you can also find me um, on raceandyoga.com. Because as you mentioned, I am also a certified yoga teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on academia.edu if you want to keep up to date on my latest publications. All right. Thank you so much. Stay on the line for a minute. Thank you so much for being on the program, Sabrina. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. Stay on the line for a second. All right, folks, that wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. Remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Write to me, Patricia, at patriciaraskin.com for a copy of my newsletter. I'll put you on my list. You can see all the great guests, or you can find me on Facebook, Patricia Raskin, Raskin Resources. Have a wonderful week. Talk to you next week. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.